1: Part of your job that's really important here is to say, okay, cool, what you just wrote down, great, it's really important for me to know. That's the outcome, and that's what I'm going to be responsible for. What you're going to be responsible for is a set of behaviors. So let's figure out what those behaviors are for or what they're going to be, and I'm going to help the behaviors track to the outcome right so if there's a division of labor here it's your program which i'm going to help create is the thing that should lead to the outcomes your behaviors the things you control and that you're going to do that's what you're going to focus
0: on. Welcome back to The Better Podcast with yours truly, Dr. Stephanie Estima. This show is for high performing women who want better bodies, better minds, better relationships, better sex, and better families, and want to hear from a woman that can take the complex science and make it easy to integrate into everyday life. Every week, I'll be giving you access to world-class scientists, medical doctors, plastic surgeons, professional athletes, Olympic gold medalists, Hollywood actors, parenting coaches, sex experts, and psychologists. I am always looking to answer this question. What are the simplest things that we can do today to get better tomorrow? I am part geek, part magic, and it is my mission to be the voice for women. Let's get better together. Hey friends, welcome back to Better with Dr. Stephanie. I am your host, Dr. Stephanie Estima. Before we get to today's episode, I wanted to let you know that I have just finished up a new training on the ketogenic diet and some of the challenges that women specifically face. So if you want to learn more about it, it is a 17-minute training, so I'll give you a jam-packed with information. Just head over to EstimaDiet.com. And you will find the uh, webinar there. There's no opt-in required. It's just uh, it's just free for you to enjoy. So on to today's show. Today I sat down with my good friend Dr. John Barardi. Uh, Dr. John is a Canadian-American entrepreneur, best known as the co-founder of Precision Nutrition. This is the world's largest nutrition coaching, education, and software company. He's also the founder of Changemaker Academy, which is devoted to helping would-be changemakers turn their passion for health and fitness into powerful purpose and a wildly successful career. Over the last 15 years, John has advised Apple, Equinox, Nike, and Titleist, as well as the San San Antonio Spurs, the Carolina Panthers, the U.S. Open champ Sloane Stephens, and the two-division UFC champion George St. GSP himself. He's been named one of the 20 smartest coaches in the world and top 100 most influential people in health and fitness. He currently lives in Ontario, Canada with his wife and his four children. They tend to escape the cold Canadian winters by spending January through to April in warmer places. And today, John and I discussed... I had reached out to him actually when the vegan documentary uh, Game Changers came out, and I wanted him on the podcast to discuss how to think. And I know that this is a really funny topic, but a lot of us don't know how we are really taught, especially even in the uh, the medical uh, community. You know, whenever you are in hardcore science, the Object is always to spit out everything that you have been taught. So, we are often, and through my career in university, uh, in my professional training, it's always information in and spit it out. Does she know it well enough to pass the test? But there's no analysis, there's no aggregation of information, there's no deduction and inductive thinking. And I wanted John on because he is really a master at that. And of course, when you are coaching, Uh, or starting a coaching company for all types of coaches, of course, you are going to have people that have all types of viewpoints. And in nutrition, as you very well know, uh, there is a lot of diet dogma. There's a lot of different ways of approaching nutrition. And I think that John's methodology and his frameworks around thinking about how we can understand everybody's viewpoints is not only relevant in the co- in, in the nutrition and in the health space, but you can apply this as a parent. You can apply this as a friend. You can apply this as a neighbor. Uh, you can apply this as a Republican, as a Democrat, as a liberal, as a conservative. And we really got into a lot of that in our discussion today. So we started off talking about what makes a good coach. So I was talking a little bit about some of my coaches and what are some of the things when I think about the mentors and the coaches that I've had, what makes a good coach and what doesn't make a good coach? Because Lord knows I have had very, I've had terrible coaches as well, but it's not that they are terrible people. It's just the skills and what I was looking for in the relationship wasn't fulfilled. So talking about how um, defining goals are important and how to define a goal, not just making them carbon copies of you. If you are a coach working with your client, it's not just about your N of one, you know, the one thing that worked for you and now you're just making you know thousands and thousands of carbon copies of yourself. And talking about the different types of goals that we can set for people, an outcome-based goal versus a behavioral-based goal, a performance-based goal versus a mastery goal. And the art of Socratic questioning. By far, this is a nerdy subject that I secretly love, but that John is the first person that I t- think I've talked about publicly. I love the art of Socratic questioning, this disciplined practice of thoughtful questions that enables the student or the patient or the client to examine ideas and be able to determine the validity of those ideas and essentially what you're trying to do is you're trying to get the patient the client the child you know the neighbor the friend to help them understand their own belief systems and how that may be driving their behavior so we talked about that and then talked about differing viewpoints and of course, we know in today's cancel culture, you say one thing, you're axed, you're off the you're off the roster, you are banned from society, and I think that this is a really uh, an inability for us to be able to be curious about the other side of the argument. so you know, in the game changers, all the debates that happened on rogan's podcast, um, you know, I don't think anybody, and I say this in my discussion with John, no one changed their mind at the end of it but why were those debates failures they were failures because the goal the goal of those debates were not met no one um and if anything i think it made it more xenophobic right like it was more us versus them so Understanding multiple viewpoints, we touch on that. We unpack the idea of awesomeness-based coaching. Like, hey, let's not try to find all the problems about you and point them out. Let's actually figure out what you're awesome at, what you're really great at, what's not broken, what's already working, and try to apply that into um, into the work that you and I are going to do together. And again, this applies for you know i know that there are a lot of healthcare practitioners that listen to this this helps with your interaction with your patients there's a lot of coaches that may be listening and i know that there's a lot of moms i know there's a lot of um parents that are listening to this podcast how can you think about your child what is awesome about that child and how we can bring that skill set and help nurture them into the issue that you're having and we talk about the power of language and of course, what makes a great coach? If you are looking for someone to hire, whether it's an orthopod, it's a chiropractor, it's a functional medicine doctor, it's a medical doctor, what would be the top things? I asked John, what would be the top things that you would advise someone to look for? And I, I thought his response was brilliant. So Without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with my friend, Dr. John Berardi. I am a huge fan of the Bio Optimizer's Magnesium Breakthrough. It has seven forms of magnesium, which is going to help to transform your stress and your performance and your recovery and your sleep to the next building recovery and health, the list goes on and on. You're basically getting them all in one supplement. Each supplement itself is 500 milligrams of magnesium, which I feel is such your cart. Don't be fooled by the frigid temperatures, keeping hydrated in the wintertime is super important. John, welcome to the podcast. I'm so happy to have you here.
1: Thank you for having me. I very much appreciate it. I've been excited about our conversation, not only because I love talking to you, but also because, gosh, I've been just talking to my children every single day. It's <laughs> nice to see another adult from time to time have one of those conversations.
0: I love that. I love that. And it's, I, I too feel the same. We were talking in the pre-chat just before we got started here around you know homeschooling and surrendering to the idea of um, not necessarily being able to put forward the curriculum that you have put out for your children. And we have, chi- my children are actually uh, the exact same ages as yours. I have a seven-year-old, a nine-year-old, and I have a, I have a 14-year-old. So he's a little right. older, but uh, same sort of, um, you know, you can drag the horse to water, but sometimes they don't drink no matter what you do. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's right. But as we talk about in the book, you have to find ways to make the horse thirsty. That's yeah. what you can do as the coach or <laughs> parent or leader. And uh, i i i i i used to about i used to think about these things quite differently, you know, and then I realized gosh they're all the same thing aren't they like leading a team uh yeah. coaching a client, parenting children uh it's the same skill set they're not different right mm-hmm. um and uh the the sooner I think folks realize that uh the quicker we can rush to this common sort of like human skill that that we require right which is uh, what I call just being better with people. You know, that's what coaching is. That's what parenting is. That's what leadership is. Being better with other people, you know, and and when we seek that out, we don't need to read a book on leading a company. And then another one on parenting children, uh, we can see them sort of fuse together and just become this one thing you got to level up at, you know? Yeah. Um, and we we have to work on all the time because I'm constantly reminded every single day by our four children that I have some leveling up to do. <laughs>
0: Oh my gosh. It's so funny. My children are, have been my greatest teachers, you know, and I was the person who read all the books. I was there. I read all the books, did all the classes. I was ready to be a mother. And then of course you become a mother, you become a parent and you're like, I have no clue what I'm doing. And like, like they didn't talk about this one thing. They didn't talk about this thing like that I'm experiencing right now, you know?
1: Yeah. Well, it's like almost the opposite. Um, it's, it's almost the opposite skill, right? Like, as you prepare, as someone like you would prepare, someone like me would prepare, we're going to read books and we're going to take notes and we're going to have systems in place, like the curriculum you mentioned earlier. Yeah, yeah. But it's the exact opposite thing that's required in parenting. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, showing up with your agenda is going to be met with, at the best of times, some resistance, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, other times, full throttle resistance right like the minute it's your agenda it's not the collective group's agenda and then it's not going to work right so it's this strange paradox like your preparedness is actually making you unprepared in some ways to be able to deal with the reality of leadership or parenting or coaching or whatever right because it can't be your agenda it has to be the group's agenda that lives in the space between you and them
0: And I think the best, and we'll get into, I want to dive into what makes a good coach and what makes a good doctor or what makes a good parent is allowing the person that you're working with to come to the conclusion that you would have hoped that they would have come Mm -hmm. to, but you help them, you know, through Socratic questioning and all these things that I want to talk about with you on their own, right? Totally. Or
1: even being open to the idea that they uh, come to a totally different conclusion and You can be okay with that, yeah. You know, like that's the ultimate in letting go and freedom. Like, hey, we worked on this collaboratively. They went a different direction than I had hoped, and gosh, I'm searching myself, and I've found that I'm okay with that because it's their journey. All right, that is coaching. You know what I mean? Um, And so, I uh, takes a long time and a lot of practice to get to, but I think you have to fundamentally accept that that's a possibility and that's okay too.
0: Yeah, yeah, very well said. And I and I you know, in in preparation for our conversation today, I was thinking about some of the, you know, the great coaches and mentors that I've had and what had distinguished, what were some of the distinguishing qualities of their personality or their coaching style or their Mm. teaching style or their mentorship versus other ones that I've had that I didn't re-engage with, didn't feel like I learned... Or that I didn't I didn't get what I was hoping out of that relationship Mm -hmm. or that coaching, and I think the you know if there was if I could rank them or if I could you know say the top you know three things let's say would be empathy right Mm -hmm. meeting me where I was like under you know and I've had I'm gonna have um, Dr Jeff Spencer do you know Dr Jeff yes Um, yeah so he's been such a, he's been an incredible uh, coach to me. Mm -hmm. And of course, you know, you know, coached Olympians and he's, you know, an Olympian himself. And, uh, but when I would come to him with my little pity problem, my little pitiful problems compared to, you know, some of the accolades that he has had, he's met me where I, he didn't judge me. He didn't make me feel less than, Mm -hmm. had a lot of empathy for the way that I was handling a particular challenge or particular scenario, and was able to, based on his experience, give me some guidance, give me some things to think about, and ultimately let me make the decision myself. Just like you were saying, whether or not it was what he wanted, I have no idea. Mm -hmm. Um, And the coaches that I've had where I didn't re-engage with them were overly prescriptive, right? Mm -hmm. They were overly... um, instructional. It was just do this, do that, build your funnel like this, say it like this, do it like that. And it was always, um, become a carbon copy of me.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: And it was never, here's the way I want you to think about something, Mm -hmm. you know, noodle on that, marinate on that, and then come to whatever decision that you want. Mm -hmm. So and I would love for you to maybe comment on this in terms of deconstructing, like that's how I would deconstruct some of my best coaches, some yeah. of my best mentors. What in your opinion makes a good coach?
1: Mm-hmm. So I, I, the first thing, and this is just my bent, you know, it's my way of seeing things is, um, I, I always think that we have to get our heads right first, then we can talk about tactics and scripts and strategies, right? So you have to begin with the right philosophical paradigm because if you don't, then I can give you 10 scripts, but then when you get to situations 11 through 20, yeah. there's nothing left. Like I got to give you 11 through 20 then, and then when you get to 21 to 30, I got to give you those too. Um, and when it comes to great coaching, great coaching can be summed up as a fundamentally deeply held within you client-centered view. And um, that's a buzzword. It's popular nowadays, client-centered medicine or patient-centered or client-centered coaching. And I think uh, oftentimes as things become cliches and overworn, they lose their their teeth, right? Oh yeah, I've heard that before. So I know it. Uh, Very few coaches know it because it's not something to know. It's something to practice every single day. You wake up and you're bad at it and then you have to you know, sharpen the saw, and you know, maybe after a few hours of the day, you are kind of good at it again, and then you wake up the next day bad at it again. But the fundamental notion here is that uh, your client, your patient, uh, whomever you're there to help serve, is the world's foremost expert on themselves, and you're there to guide them towards the places they want to go. So that begins with you understanding where they want to go, and you uh, said a great thing, which is people becoming a carbon copy or people coaching you to become a carbon copy of them. And that's the opposite of client-centered. That's coach-centered, right? It's here's what I've done. Here's what I know. Here's the success I've had. Um, I'll make you into me. In health and fitness, I've often said like, why, why is it that someone, let's say maybe they're a teacher with uh, type 2 diabetes, uh, 40 pounds overweight and back pain. Why, somewhere along the journey, uh, their goal becomes doing a tough mutter or squatting 300 pounds, Right. right? How did that ever happen? What often happens is a result of coaches, personal trainers, forming them into the kind of person that they are, right? That the coach is, right? These are the things that I do for fun, so you should do them too. And some people that works out for, okay, but for a lot of people it doesn't. Um, you know, I often say the simplest example of coach versus client centered is let's say um, you know I'm at the gym and someone comes up to me and says, "Oh, you're in really great shape. I've got a nutrition question for you. Um, you know, I'm, I'm I'm always thinking about what I should eat optimally after my workout uh, to help me recover and all that. Uh, what should I do? Right? So the coach centered clo- coach, you know, the person who's focused on themselves and their knowledge talks about protein synthesis and carbohydrate replenishment and recovery. And, you know, the uh, fast digesting protein and amino acids will help with, you know, protein turnover and the carbohydrates will help with this. So your best thing is blank, right? A coach-centered coach is fundamentally different. They say, tell me something. What do you like to eat after workouts? You know, we explore what they like what their goals are, if there's a gap between the two, and how we can nudge them a little bit closer, still staying within the boundaries of who they are and what they want to do. So the, notice the, the, the thing that the coach-centered coach comes out with is a set of knowledge and a prescription. The thing that the client-centered coach comes out with is a question, right? And so, you know, the old adage that we have, you know, two eyes and Two ears, to take in four times as much info as we speak, one mouth, um, is a good rule. Like if we um, seek and gather information at a ratio of four times to one as we speak what we know, uh, we have the actual opportunity to understand the people that are around us and whether that's a paying client, whether that's our children, whether that's our partner, whether that's uh, our team members, whether that's our family, our parents, Uh, if we talk less, listen more, um, we have a legitimate shot at forging deeper relationships and achieving the results that we all want to achieve. If we don't, then it's a crapshoot, you know, like the probability just goes way down. And um, now when I say listen more, it's not just necessarily don't speak, right? Because active, deep, compassionate listening comes from asking questions. Right? It comes from a deep curiosity about the other person. So you may be talking plenty, but most of your talking ends in a question mark, Mm -hmm. you know, or a raised eyebrow or a help me understand uh, rather than a, oh, I've seen this before. I got this. Right. You know, and that's that's the headspace one has to be in as a coach. And most trainers and health and fitness coaches aren't trained in that. Uh, Most business leaders aren't trained in that. Um, and doctors most parents, I would
0: include doctors in doctors
1: that. absolutely yeah. and parents too right like yeah. it's a hard balance in all of those scenarios to be the authority right uh, in a parenting situation you're responsible for keeping your children safe, setting rules, doing discipline and a host of other activities. How do you balance the two, right? It's, it's very challenging. It always takes more time to ask questions, listen, understand where the other person is coming from, but the dividends that it pays are tremendous. And um, so for me, it begins with that, you know, getting your head right, client-centered approach, right? Who is the person I'm with? How do I understand them deeply, better, without cliches and making assumptions and trying, you know, oh, I've seen this before, so I know what you need, so here you go, on to the next. Um, And then we get into the tactics of like, what kinds of questions do you ask? You know, when uh, do you do this balance? Because some clients will say, no, I just want you to tell me what to do. Right. And so um, you're like, okay, but those folks get annoyed when I ask them questions. How do I do this fine? You know, the arts of this kind of dance. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's where the tactics come. But none of it, none of it, none of it can go the right way unless we begin with this fundamental assumption that I'm here to serve who the other person is, which means I have to discover who the other person is. And from there, we can um, co-create a plan moving forward.
0: I love what you're talking about. And as you were talking, you were reminding me of uh, Dr. Shafali Sabari, who is a parenting uh, you know, call her parenting uh, coach and expert. She was on the podcast, and her one of her fundamental tenets is that your child is not a little version of you. It is not mm. your responsibility to mold this child to um, rectify some of the things that happened you know, or didn't happen in your childhood and mm-hmm. that this person is separate and distinct. So when you're saying, you know, having this curiosity to get to understand, so if you are not a doctor or you're not a a coach listening to this, but you're a parent, this would be a really good cue as a parent as well to say, okay, yes, I'm concerned for this, this child's safety, but we all know, the uh, well, at least I know very well, the four-year-old who... I'm telling you, can't run around the house with a fork. Mm -hmm. You can't jump off the couch, but you can't get, you can't beat, you can't create those boundaries for that person, for that little person who is like screaming on the floor. Like that person needs to feel understood, Mm -hmm. needs to feel heard, needs to feel seen. You have to make your, at at least my experience has been. And Jennifer Kalari, another parenting, we had another, uh, she's wonderful. I'm actually speaking with her next week for round two on the podcast around mirroring, like making them feel like you understand where they're coming from first. Mm -hmm. And then, and only then are you able to step in and say, okay, well, running with a fork is not a great idea. Or jumping off the couch with a fork in your hand is not a great idea. And this is why. Mm-hmm. But you can only get there once the child feels like you understand why they. It's it would be so much fun to pretend like this fork is the big sword or the big flaming lightsaber or whatever mm-hmm. it is, right?
1: Yeah, and that's, and that's really it, right? You see danger. And uh, if you don't make a moment somewhere, and it may not be when they're threatening their sibling with a knife. That might not be the moment to be like, I need to take a moment and, and deeply understand your motivation yeah. here. No, <laughs> yeah. That's when we get the knife so. out of the picture, right? Yeah. But you know, um, then we go to the, you know, maybe they've been they're sad you took the knife away. Which fundamentally, I mean, if you think about it, um, and this happens at work. I mean, this there can be physical, and there can be you know, authority and power based. Um, we can call it bullying, right? It's a crass kind of way of looking at it, but um, I am always on guard for being the bully of my child or our team or whatever, right? And what does that mean? Well, it, it means I am bigger than you. I am physically big, like our three-year-old. It's like, I'm seven of her, you know right. what I mean? Right. Um, or at work, right? If, if I'm signing the paychecks and I'm the boss and I'm you know, the public face of the company or whatever it might be, I have all kinds of power and authority, whether it's physical or perceived or whatever the case may be. And uh, we often use that. And we have to be careful with how we use that, right? Because any way you slice it, if it's a willful child versus a willful me, um, and I make them do my will, I have in many ways taken away all their autonomy, just stripped it clean from them, because I am bigger and stronger. I mean, how's that different from a government sending someone with a gun to take away your stuff, mm-hmm. you know? And it, it is different, right? But by degree, right? And so I, I just think we, all, we often have to think very carefully about our leadership, our coaching, our parenting in that context, right? Um, it's not a free-for-all, you know, that's not the alternative to not stripping white people's autonomy. But How can we find some middle ground on a spectrum or continuum, right? How can we, instead of forcefully stripping away because we're bigger, more powerful, have more authority, how can we um, include them in the process, right? And that's really what I continually work on, um, teach, and also realize that I'm not always good at and have to be reminded, you know, when I slip up to.
0: And I think there's also something to be said about the art of understanding differing viewpoints, right? And this is why I originally wanted you on the show. I mean, anybody? You I mean I will put your link, you know, your Instagram link and the link to your book and everything in the show notes. But your Instagram is a model for critical. Thinking and I love the posts that you put up there. They're excellent. The way that you, I mean, we, and I'll I'll kind of back this up by saying, you know, I had originally emailed you and I said, listen, we have this vegan documentary, Game Changers. Yeah, um, it's so
1: great because it was it was all anyone could talk about, and now we forget I'm the like, name. What
0: was the name? Game <laughs> Changers. <laughs> right. Game Changers. Eh? Yes. Um, and then there was this series of debates, right? And it was I watched. I invested. Uh, I don't know how many hours of my life rock- watching Joe Rogan. There was like Chris Kresser v Joel yes. Kahn, you know, who's the vegan cardiologist, and it's Chris Cresser v Wilkes, and then Chris Cresser on his own. And yeah. um, at the end of the day, I don't think anybody changed their mind. Yeah. The vegans didn't leave that saying, "You know what? Now all I'm going to do is have steak," mm-hmm. and the omnivores or the carnivores. Didn't were like no. Now I'm all in for protein, like pea protein. That's it. Like nobody changed their mind. If anything, it made it polarized people even more. People were more me v you. It was more xenophobic than ever. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to I wanted to touch on that because I think you are so masterful. And this is you know you've built uh, you are one of the co founders of Precision Nutrition, and I think that one of the tenants at PN is. That is to understand, to intimately understand as a coach, whether you're a trainer, you're a chiropractor, you are a functional medicine provider, whatever, you're a life coach, to fundamentally understand all the pros and cons of the opinions that you hold and understand where your cognitive biases lie and where your client may be coming from and where they may not be, you know, maybe it's keto. I mean, it could be keto or veganism Mm -hmm. or whatever it is, because you have these, you have this, it's almost this, there's like zealots, like you have Mm -hmm. this keto zealots and vegan zealots and they just, um, if somebody is sort of on the fence as your client about trying keto or trying Tabata style hit or Mm -hmm. whatever it is, you, your extremism is going to completely turn them off. Mm-hmm. At least I have found that. Do you do you agree or or no? Yeah, I think
1: I think that either it it will, um, it, but at the same time it'll actually attract a group of people who are attracted to the same ideologies, and I think that's where we can become blinded really easily. Right, so we're repelling people left and right, but we're not thinking about them because it's pay- too painful to think about. And we can't be wrong. So they must just be idiots. So we write them off. So they're, they're not in the data set anymore, right? And, and then all these people who like our very polarized opinion or they want to, be vegan or keto or whatever the choice they make is uh, are attracted to me. So it becomes a very interesting selection bias, right? We're like, everyone that I talk to seems to think I really know what I'm doing, (laughs) you know, and I'm not turning anyone off, right? Yeah, Yeah. Um, But that's because you're just attracting a certain kind of person. Mm. And so you're including them in your data set, but the people that you're excluding, which is a large group, right? You're not counting them in your data set because they're all idiots, right? And you can see how this sort of thing starts to form. And also, let's be honest, you know, when we find camps in, in anything like uh, Republican versus Democrat, you know, keto versus uh, vegan, um, you know, we're often, it's pejorative when we talk about camps and, you know, diet religions and things like that, right? We're, we're judging it, right? But uh, again, leading with compassion, curiosity, and empathy leads me to ask the question, um, is there some good you know, that, that this begins with, right? right? And it truly, there is some good, right? We are all members of groups. We just think our groups are better than the other groups, you know what I mean? So that's why we don't consider ourselves the idiots, zealots, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and we are members of groups for a reason, because as a human animal, we like that sense of belonging connection, even the most deep introverts identify with being a part of the introvert group. You know what I mean? Right. So we all like being part of the groups. And so I think by understanding that it maybe can help us uh, enter into dialogues with other groups uh, a little bit more patiently because there's literally no chance of me showing up into a, another group or another way of thinking and convincing them that my way is right and theirs is wrong because there's just too much benefit over there for them. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, and so, you know, again, getting back to sort of coaching, right. And, you know, precision nutrition tenants, for example, um, you know, ours was always, gosh, if we are going to set up a shingle and say, we coach humans, right. Um, we better be able to coach all the humans, right? I mean, that just makes good business sense, first of all, independent of you know, moral or uh, pragmatic or you know, rightness concerns. Uh, our business is going to be worse if we only coach one kind of person, right? right. So let's figure out how to coach all the people. You, you want to eat a plant-based diet? Great. Come on over here. We'll help you do it better because on your own, you're probably screwed. Uh, you want to do a meat-based diet? Cool we can help you with that too. So it really became our prerogative to figure out how to do all of these various things well, um, so that various kinds of people could come to us for that kind of help. Uh, It also made more sense to me as a human who wants to connect with all kinds of humans. And really, um, again, stripping aside this tendency we have to get judgmental about things. Oh, you eat different than me? Well, that must be something wrong with one of us. And uh, we know who that is, right? right. Um, <laughs> and rather just, wow, well, you can show up to the party eating however you want to eat. And, and I can be cool with that. Um, I prefer you not tell, judge me, you know, if, if I'm reserving judgment, but that's not up for me to decide you know, like I, I can only control my own actions and emotions here. And so it, it then just became a life principle of mine. Like, how can I show up in a, with a sense of curiosity about everything? Like everything begins with the statement, I, I wonder, rather than, oh, I've seen this before. I know how this plays out. And that's what ends up happening, right? You almost can read the first sentence of, let's say, a political viewpoint And you already think you know who the other person is and what they're about to say, right? It's almost as if they're wearing this backpack of ideas and you think you already know what's inside it without it getting unzipped, right? right? Mm -hmm. And uh, so we go, ah, I've seen this before. And then we start railing against theoretical arguments, made up things, right? And it's such a human tendency to be like, we're going to rid ourselves of that is silly, so the question becomes, how do we navigate a world where we're all prone to do this, right? Where I'm prone to do this, where you're prone to do this, and I am prone to do this. The first thought in my head when I see something that isn't in perfect alignment with the way I choose to live my life is a judgmental one. Uh, but I've learned through counseling and through practice that I can let that pass just like a passing cloud, and then I can get to the good stuff. You know, that can help me connect to the other people, that can help me um, critically examine my viewpoints and theirs in positive ways, and ultimately move forward in life, right? Like, the reason we should be evaluating things is to figure out if they can help us make better decisions for how we're living, right? Like, what's the point of evaluating things? It's what our brain is doing it for, right? It's going, oh, can this be useful to me in some way? Can I live a better life? Can my survival be better? Can my pleasure be better? Can my pain be diminished if I uh, take this action, right? That's why we're evaluating, right? We're actually trying to consume information to make better decisions for our lives and the people that we care about. So gosh, wouldn't it be great to be able to take in all the information and figure that out, right? So, um, even someone like me who's really well-practiced at this and has made it like a lifelong commitment, you got to know the first thing in my head is probably negative, judgmental, et cetera. But then I can dissociate from that. And again, that's years of practice and go, oh, wow, there goes that thing again. Gosh, I, never that, I guess that's never going to go away. <laughs> and then I just let it blow. But I go, oh, but wait, don't act on it. Don't yeah. grab it. Just let it blow past because it's not the right. It's not the right feeling I need right now. It's not helpful to me. It's the wrong set of emotions. Um, it's not helpful to the other person. My goals are not going to be achieved in life if I latch onto this. Okay, we're going to let it just blow past like a breeze. Now I'm not feeling any attachment to it. I can go. Oh, what am I looking at over there? Well, I wonder, and then that allows us to be open to you know various viewpoints, even the ones opposite to us. Uh, not saying it's easy, not saying that, you know, I don't have any moments where it's the opposite. But again, you know, the practice becomes well, how do I let what's going to happen happen and then just blow past? Yeah. And then we get to the good stuff, the collaborative stuff, you know, where I can work with others and different opinions.
0: Yeah. And I think that also is such a poignant way of thinking about things, especially when we have this cancel culture that is so prevalent now so somebody does one thing wrong and they are fired they lose their career you know they they there's you know comedians that we've seen make Mm. you know they've been completely desisted like everything they've lost all their shows they've lost tv you know people have lost tv shows and things like that And, and i'm not saying that the act that caused that um response was right or wrong but i think that You know, it comes back to that old, you know, and I'm not a very religious person, but, you know, he who has, you know, it's a, Mm. he who hasn't sinned cast the first stone. We all make mistakes. Mm -hmm. And I, I love what you're saying around, you know, understanding and recognizing, you know, being the observer of that voice, saying, okay, there's that judgmental, the judgmental voice that, Categorizes people externally that you know, directs my own behavior at times. But can I be curious about why they're coming at it this way? Can I be curious enough to understand what are the positives that holding this particular belief system is giving this person? Whether mm. or not I agree with it or not, what are some of the positives that, positives that this is imparting? Um, I am incredibly bullish on sauna as a therapy for recovery, heart health and overall aging well. you know, coming back to coaching a little bit in terms of defining some of the questions. I want to talk about the differences in terms of how we set goals for patients Mm -hmm. um, or clients, however you choose to to call them, and the ways that we can encourage self-discovery. Because as you were saying, it's one thing to say, I wonder if we tried it this way versus, you know what I think you should do? Mm-hmm. You gotta do this. You gotta meditate. You gotta fast. Yeah. You gotta, you know. So let's let's talk a little bit about the art of I call it Socratic questioning. I don't mm-hmm. know if you have a different um No, no, I think of it the same way. Yeah. So what would be some of the ways that you can ask questions that would that would encourage self-reflection in your client? Mm-hmm. And then I, I wanna talk a little bit about how we can start to set Goals collaboratively with our patients or with our clients as well.
1: Yeah. Again, so you know, number one is um, for a lot of people, you know, in in sort of the Eastern influence on Western dialogue and thinking nowadays, the the idea is often referred to as like setting an intention right? Um, and so that's, that's where I will begin, right? It, whether you believe in this way of being or not, you have to just begin every coaching session within this intention, right? Which is, uh, this session is going to be about discovery. Like, how can I discover enough about this person and um, help them make good decisions for their lives, right? If you're a health coach, again, what's the goal here? You're trying to help this person live healthier or happier or have reduced pain or wh- whatever your, whatever your specific goal is. Okay. I have to remember the goal, right? This is about them having less pain in their life. Right. Uh, so whew, I need to make sure I'm not a pain point, First of all, you know what yeah. I mean? Um, well, and right. then how do we do that? Right. Well, we have to figure out what kinds of things help them feel less pain. So that's the, the questioning, right? So uh, sometimes it's imagining, right? So, uh, imagine that X, pain or Y positive thing, whatever their goal is, um, is here in your life right now. What does that feel like for you? Right? Or imagine X pain has gone away. What kind of things can you do now that that pain is no longer in your life? Right? Or imagine you can achieve Y goal, which you said you want to achieve. What kind of things can you do now? What kind of person are you? Right? So we start to really uncover, you know, the hopeful future that they're hoping to live. Right. And so once you have that, now we can ask them questions like, okay, cool. So I'm just curious, like what sorts of things do you think will bring you closer to that hopeful future? Right. And they'll give you some ideas. Sometimes the answer will be, I don't know. That's why I'm here to see you. Right. Uh, Another answer might be, well, I probably should meditate and sleep more and eat less sugar, whatever. Right. Um, Or they may be very specific. I need to do X, Y, and Z right? Okay, cool. Another question follow-up, if they have some answers, would be what's preventing you from doing those things right now, right? So, now we understand in three questions, right? The hopeful future they want to live, like the dream they're dreaming about, right? Um, The things they think they need to achieve to do to achieve those things, and then what's in the way? That's only three questions. It didn't take very long, right? And I didn't have to say anything. I've Questions that help them imagine a better future and in a completely non judgmental way, right? Mm. And part of this is theatrics, if you want to call it that, right? There's the wording, but there's also your demeanor. It's how you use your voice, how you use your face, your inflections, right? It takes practice. And that's why most of this stuff is better done in like workshopping scenarios than I read a book, I'm going to go try this thing, right? Because when you workshop it, you can see how other people in pretend scenarios. Are reacting to it and then they can give you feedback. But a lot of it is, you know, how can I use my body language and my words and my tonality to help people feel safe? Like I am legitimately curious. And even better, how can I be legitimately curious, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, So that they feel that coming through uh, every question, right? And then once we got to, you know, what they want to achieve, their hopeful future, what they think they ought to do and what's in the way, right? Then we can start troubleshooting, right? And that's where each interaction becomes independent. Um, but, you know, when we start troubleshooting, that's where, as you said, you know, I'm wondering if we tried X, you know, how how you think that might play out. And then, you know, one of the places where I always want to end up in a little dialogue like this, which I consider like kind of a winding path that we're on together, um, is At the end, confidence testing, right? So we come up with sort of a co-created next strategy, right? And then we confidence test, which is, okay, now I have one last question for you. We've agreed that you're going to try this uh, pre-bed routine, which may make it more likely that you fall asleep earlier and help you get more sleep since we identified that as such an important thing. I'm just wondering on a scale of zero out of 10, zero being there is no way in hell I could do this every night for the next 10 being, of, of course I can do this. Gosh, it even feels too little ability. So again, zero being no is a little easy, coach. And then we have them rank it. And if they rank anything less than eight out of 10, then we're not gonna do it. We're gonna make it simpler, right? I mean, imagine you go to a doctor and a doctor's like, you have this disease, this pill is gonna help it go away or go in remission or whatever. And I want you to take it every day all right? And come back and see me in a month and we'll do your blood work. Um, it, Docs rarely ask this, by the way, but zero to 10 that you can take this pill every day for the next month before I see you again, right? It would be a game changer and it would really be eye-opening if the patient said two out of 10. In other words, I can't take this pill every day, doc. Why are we going to have a month follow-up? Why, am I, why is that in? Right, I'm going to see you, and you won't have taken any meds, and things will probably have gotten worse since then. Right, so really, you know, this is uh, the crux of coaching. It's co-creating something that really speaks to your patient or client's deepest needs and the desires that they have for the future, and then figuring out if the thing that we're about to recommend together is something they're confident that they can do. And if they're not, we just have to shrink it. How simple can we make this then? Oh, okay, cool. Six out of 10. Well, I'm feeling like, it, it sounds like by the ranking you gave, what do you think might be something just a nudge easier that we could do? You know, uh, maybe we work on the pre-bed routine three nights a week. How's that feel on the scale of zero to 10? You know, and we come up at a with a place where um, they're very confident they can do this thing until the next time we check in. Incidentally, Again, we talked about parenting. We talked about team leadership. It's all the same, right? I mean, this is what we need to work towards. If I give feedback and instruction as your boss, I need to know that you feel confident you can do the thing I asked you to do. If you don't, I mean, we're just going to go in circles, right? And mm-hmm. same with your children, right? Um, so this has been just a, a tremendous asset, and it's just so easy, right? How confident do you feel? Zero out of ten. Your clients will get used to it, and even before you say the full sentence, you'll be like, so confidence Remember before. And, uh, and it just becomes this great way of dialoguing about how, their confidence. Um, and the one app for coaches is that sometimes we make the things so easy that when the clock in, in our minds, we're like, like, it's too easy, right? Let's say we're talking about, they're like, I can eat one vegetable every other. That's not going to make any impact on their health. It may or may not, you don't know. However, what it will do is build their confidence. So when you move to one vegetable every day, they can give you nine or ten out of ten confidence rather than going right. This is the indirect way of building up the person to be able to do the harder things later.
0: That's amazing. Yeah, and I, I think that that is so important because confidence testing gives you obviously it gives you an understanding of compliance, right? Like when mm-hmm. you're thinking about the prognosis for the, you know, how well they're going to do on your program, right? But it also gives you. Other clinical gems as well. Like, you know, at least on the initial outlay of your program, like how well you have listened to their goals and your construction of their program, how closely that matches them Mm -hmm. and the strength and integrity of your program. And then, of course, if you need to flush out some things in order to get them above an eight, if you need Mm -hmm. to take some things away, I think for so many people, and I, and I, I have fallen prey to this as well, where I'm like, someone's hired me. I'm going to give them everything I can. And I want to, yeah. you know, you, we we do it. I think coaches and doc, we do it from a place of love. Like we really want to help them. Mm-hmm. But what ends up happening is you overwhelm them and you forget about how long it took you to master that. You know, we didn't totally. come out of the womb, you know, I didn't come out of the womb understanding the Krebs cycle or right. body hypertrophy of the, like, you know, yeah. it And in our own journeys, you know, we fall, we regress, we fall off the bandwagon, we fail. And -hmm. it's just a matter of how many times you, you know, got back on the bandwagon and made a little bit more progress, you know, and and having that, um, I think having that compassion for our patients, our clients is also... Sometimes I think
1: it takes actually like a real. It's not an. It can't be an intellectual exercise. It has to take a. It it has to be felt. And for me, what I often do is I look and remind myself in my own life for things that I am trying that are new and how Mm -hmm. difficult it is for me and how little I have the capacity to do with four children and all the other things I'm working on and go. Oh gosh, for them, the thing that's easy for me, eating healthy food and exercising every day, is the learning to play the piano that I'm working on or the new thing I'm trying as a parent or a partner. And I go, Oh gosh, you know, does it feel that bad for them when I ask them to eat an extra vegetable? It must like for them, it may be the equivalent of climbing Mount Everest. Right. Yeah. So we need to make a smaller mountain for them. And I, we can get this intellectually, but I often, um, it, in my life when I feel like my secret weapons is, that my head is always swiveling around looking for analogies. Um, it's going, gosh, I have a unique problem, challenge, uh, opportunity over here. Um, I don't know much about it because it's new. Where have I seen something like this before, right? In my, you know, relationship life, in my uh, Former time as a PhD student, in uh, mentorship relationships I've had, in learning to play an instrument. Where have I seen this before? Okay, cool. I remember how I felt there. How did I solve it there? What did I do there? Oh, this is kind of like that. You know, and in David Epstein's book, Range, which is excellent, people who have range uh, have often dabbled in all these varied sorts of things. So then when it comes to problem-solving, right, they're like, oh, I've seen this when I uh, worked in, in this environment previously, or I've seen this. I wonder if I bring that over here. And he actually talks about how that is most of what innovation, taking a thing that worked in a different field and just applying it to a particular application in your field where no one's ever done that before. That's mm-hmm. what most of innovation is. People aren't making things up from thin air. They're actually just borrowing something from another scenario. So again, I think in every aspect, and we're talking about coaching here. This is so useful, right? I have this person in front of me. They're a beginner. I'm not going to remember what it was like when I first started trying this when I was 16 years old. You know, That's 35 years ago. So what am I a beginner at now? Okay. It's like that, right? That's the analogy. Oh, How am I handling it? Okay. Now I can help coach them. Felt place. I don't have to conjure up empathy here out of thin air i have it because i'm struggling too right. it's just a different area right
0: it's funny every time i you know in the in the times where i have you know lectured in you know whether it's on stage or in a corporate setting i'll ask the question so how many of you you know depending on the topic you know how many of you in the past month have had you know headaches or back pain or you've thought it's time for me to make change with my nutrition or I need to you know, start exercising and moving more. I need to start working on my posture. And invariably, 80 to 90% of the hands go up. It doesn't matter what size of the audience that I'm speaking to. But then the second question that comes up that I'll ask, so the people that raise their hands. So how many of you have actually done something about it? Mm -hmm. How many of you have engaged with a personal trainer or called up your chiropractor or you know, went to a nutritionist or, you know, Mm -hmm. someone to do something about the problem that you've identified. And of that 80 or 90% of the room that had their hands up saying, yeah, I noticed that there was a problem. 10 to 20% of people will say, yeah, I did something about it. Mm -hmm. So the fact that this client or this patient has raised their hand to say, okay, I'm actually going to do something here. I'm going to do something about it. The courage that it takes yep. to overcome the egoic narrative that they already have in their head about, I should be able to figure this out. It's not that big mm-hmm. of a deal. I can just live with it. You know, We have to also, I, I think, um, and I, I, this is just, we have to have so much compassion for them to say, wow, this is such a courageous individual
1: mm-hmm. for
0: coming to me and saying, yeah, you know what? Everything is not okay. I, I, want, I want a better life for myself. And you are the person that I think can do it for me for, for, a vari- you know, for whatever reason.
1: Yeah. I mean, before we started recording, um, we talked about the idea of like the awesomeness-based coaching, right? And this yeah. is a great time to bring it up because um, this is our s- sort of second central tenet of coaching. One is uh, client-centered right? So beginning with the person, and who they are, not who you are. Um, and then the second is awesomeness based coaching in, in most of health and fitness, we do the opposite. It's awfulness based, right? It's let's measure a bunch of stuff, see what's wrong with you. And then we'll go in and we'll start fixing stuff. Right. And it's a constant reminder of where we're weak and fragile and broken and not good enough. Um, what if we did at least some of the opposite, you know, where we said, what are like, if you can afford me, and this is what took me a while to figure out. If you can afford to pay me, you know, 60, 80, a hundred, 200 bucks an hour, whatever you charge, there must be something in your life that's going okay. Right. Like on the professional side, you make enough money to be able to see me three times a week, 300 bucks a week, 1200 bucks a month Mm -hmm. is no joke. So there's an area in your life that you don't totally suck. What skills are you using there? Let's identify those right now and let's figure out how we can just port them over to eating a better breakfast, right? And this is a it's a really refreshing reminder I think for a lot of young coaches and it's one I needed to learn because I remember being like a early 20-something year old personal trainer in South Beach Miami, which is where I started my first training business. And I had clients who had private jets and yachts and islands that they would go to on the weekends and i literally in my brain thought at times that they were weak lazy and stupid because they couldn't eat the way i told them to right you know like what a terrible mismatch and in some ways that was um a way of me feeling far superior to them right like they're 38 you know wealthy ultra successful I'm like, this guy's an idiot. I, if only he could be more like me. You know, and I'm 22. I live in a bachelor apartment. You know what I mean? And um, the, that mismatch needs to be like so highlighted. And then, and then we have to think through, okay, cool. These people do have strengths. They do have awesomeness in their life. How do we really highlight? Them? How do we spend time in that? How do I make them feel better when they spend time with me, uh, for what they're great at, and then say, oh, you know what's really interesting? You, you seem like you're incredible at scheduling and organizing your life. I wonder how we could bring that to bear on organizing your food, right? Could we get out that Google calendar that's on every one of your devices and plan in some meals, right? Whatever the strengths are, oh, you're, you're tremendous at delegating. wonder if we can just hire someone to help out with this. Like, You know, can we just delegate this problem to someone else um, and solve it that way, you know? Um, So that's, you know, the fundamental tenant here, awesomeness-based. How do we find what's awesome about you, the strengths, and then bring them to bear on the challenges that you're having in this domain of your life? Um, Because you're using them to win in a different domain. We just got to figure out how to apply them here, you know? And so I think that's really critical and it, it sort of relates to what you were talking about a minute ago.
0: Yeah, and I, I love what you're saying here because I think that w- I see this a lot in the functional medicine community where we have we like to over test. It's like let's I'm going to sequence your microbiome. I'm going to mm-hmm. figure out your cortisol awakening curve. I'm going to know exactly the way that you metabolize estrogen. I'm going to tell you everything that's wrong about every single one of these pathways, right? Yeah, and I, I think as um, um, as someone who i have i have I, and i love data i love data right and, we, and i think that the the idea of finding the problem is is really against when we think about it it's well at least it's against my philosophical underpinning that the body is actually in, m- far more intelligent than i could ever pretend that i am mm-hmm. you know it has far more mechanisms for healing the the drive towards homeostasis and the drive towards vitalism is far more than I could ever imagine, and it's far more than the mechanistic, you know, um, pathways that I can memorize. Mm-hmm. But when we, but when we are pointing out all the things that are wrong about someone, as you mentioned, uh, and so eloquently. Um, Described, we forget what has actually brought them to us in, totally. in the first place. I,
1: I had this moment recently where, you know, um, a couple of years ago, I was diagnosed with an autoimmune condition. So I've been unpacking it and figuring out how to deal with everything. And I worked with a really, really great sort of tactical clinician recently, did a whole battery of tests. And, um, you know, as we're going through the, and and again, like I, I'm pretty level headed about things, but as we're going through, you know, his read of what's you know, going on with me, it, I mean, it was doomsday scenario, right? And I'm like, well, time out. We need to at least stop for a minute and recognize I'm almost 50 years old. You know, I run 100 meter in less than 12 seconds. I um, have a lot of muscle mass and very low body fat. Almost every system of my body is working phenomenally well, Right. Like 90 out of 100% of the things we could look at are amazing. My blood pressure is... I
0: get an A. (laughs) Yeah,
1: exactly. Totally. You know, it's just... So can you at least tell me one thing that's good about me today, right? Instead of all this... And again, and I I get the things. Now, imagine someone who's not trained in any of this, um, who gets a B, you know what I mean? Is sitting in front of a functional med practitioner and, or a personal trainer or a strength coach. And it just seems like every time we're together, I get an F. Uh, That doesn't, it's not vitalizing. It's not rejuvenating. It makes me feel sad when I'm with you, (laughs) you know? So again, like part of it is very practical and functional. I want to know where you're strong so we can bring those strengths to bear on this problem. Because I think you can fix them with the same strengths you use to win in this area of your life. Also, you're a human being, a person that I'm connecting with. It would be great to make you feel good when you're with me too. And that's what awesomeness-based coaching does. It allows us to use your strengths effectively, functionally. And it allows you to feel great when you're with me, which makes you want to come back and see me again. And then we can work on this thing for a while, you know?
0: And that's what a good, I mean, you know, we were saying this at the top of our conversation that at least for me, the coaches that have been the most influential and that have helped me move the needle the most have been the ones that have met me where I am. Mm -hmm. You know, they've been further along on the, I mean, we're all at at the end of the day, we're all on the same path, right? Mm -hmm. We just have people that are further along in the path than I am and that's why I'm seeking out that help. But they never made me feel that way. Yeah. You know, they never made me, you know, like Dr. Jeff was never like, you know what? Do you know how many hours I've put on the bike? I've probably mm. put, you know, a hundred thousand hours, you know, whatever the number of hours is, I've probably put in a million. I mean, he's told me the numbers of how many hours he's trained and stuff outside of our coaching sessions. But if I came to him with um you know a, a mindset issue he would like, you know do you know what Lance Armstrong would say in mm-hmm. the same he would he wouldn't there's no comp- there's no judgment it's always right. like this is where you are right now, mm-hmm. and I get it because, as you were saying, I can find other scenarios where i'm a beginner, and I know what it feels like to suck when, mm-hmm. you know because when we are all it you have to be willing to suck to get, to, to, to have mastery, to be able to mm. develop mastery because we all start somewhere.
1: Yeah. I, I've been going through this recently because our daughter plays piano and, you know, she started when she was four and she's 10 now. So she's pretty good. And this year, um, you know, during my sabbatical starting in January, I wanted to learn to play the piano. Um, so, one of my favorite things about it, in addition to the playing of the piano stuff and, and learning a new skill, is that our children get to see me be worse than, especially my daughter at something. It's, right. and, and it's, it's really cool, right? Because imagine you're a child and your, your parent seems better than you at everything, right? Literally everything. So this is the one chance where she gets to see me be worse than her. Uh, at a thing that she has some level of mastery of. And it's really good for our relationship. And it's also really good for me uh, inside as a uh, being with an ego, you know, where I get to go, wow, okay, cool. How am I going to continually be cool with this sucking at something, right? And oh, this is a great lesson as a family. When you try new things, you suck at them right? That's just how it is. Mm. And uh, so it's it's really been a nice experiences, learning experiences, you know, interaction experiences as a family to um, to go through this um, intent, very intentionally, right? Like, hey, I want to show them that, because again, as a parent, you go, oh, honey, you know what? You just need to practice more at whatever new thing they're doing. Where none of us are very good at things uh, when we first start, but that information is a mismatch because dad, it seems like you're good at everything though. Or mom, it seems like you're good at everything, right? So this is an opportunity to show, um, Hey honey, we need to practice. None of us are very good when we start new things. And you go, for example, daddy at the piano right now, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. So um, yes, I totally agree. And again, uh, putting ourselves in uh, environments and scenarios where we do have to suck in front of others because that's what everyone does when they try a new thing. is so helpful as a parent, as a coach, as a leader. But many of us avoid it, right? We spend time yes. in our comfort zones. And even if we're growth-minded and we're willing to step outside our comfort zones, we'll try and do it privately, right? So people don't see this uh, heroic figure that I am uh, not being good at something. And it's such a liberating experience to be like, hey, it's okay. You know, I mean, for, for those who really don't know about you know, my career, um, you know, I was sort of the face of the world's largest nutrition coaching and education company. That, th- this figure lives out in the world called Dr. John Berardi, you know? And so, God forbid Dr. John Berardi show up and be bad at something, you know? But it's quite liberating when you're like, hey, Dr. John Berardi is bad at the things he starts new, just like everyone else. And I own that and I want to publicly display that. You know,
0: This is a really nice time to contrast the different types of goals that we can set as well. Mm-hmm. So when you are starting something new, like playing the piano or trying to eat more vegetables or trying to get to sleep earlier, I was, I was actually talking about this on my Instagram today. I woke up this morning, every fiber in my body Knows that it's leg day today.
1: Mm-hmm. And as
0: a tr- you know, all the my brain's churning out the excuses, well, Steph, you're homeschooling, you've been much more tired lately, you know, maybe, maybe you should be trying to take the day off. And if my goal was a performance goal, so if my goal was performance based, meaning you're going to go downstairs, you're going to punch out this and this number, you're going to do it in this and this time, mm-hmm. I would have, I would have failed today. Yeah. But my goal was behavioral based, meaning Tuesdays are leg days. So Stephanie goes downstairs on Tuesdays, no matter what, and she does a leg routine. Yep. And which is what I did today. So not my best, not my best workout. I got it done. I still feel like I won.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Can you contrast for and I would love for you to expand on this because in your in your book, uh Changemaker, you talk about all the different types of goals, which I think were brilliant. So, outcome goals versus mm-hmm. behavioral goals, performance and mastery. Can we talk a little yeah. bit and contrast those for, for the listener?
1: Yeah, totally. I mean, uh, we're we're so often taught to set goals, that, or the idea that setting goals is really important, but rarely are we really taught, you know, how to effectively set them. And when we are most often taught, it's like smart goals, like specific and measurable, and right, 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 yeah, yeah this kind of mm-hmm. stuff, right? But um, what I've just seen over and over again, and the research is bearing it out as well, is that um, you know unless, I mean, it, people always try and put a little asterisk on this by being like, unless you're an elite athlete, but even elite, elite athletes have to do the same thing. Uh, if you think elite athletes are different in this way, then you're not one, um, and you haven't been. Um, but an outcome goal is the thing you want to achieve, right? And that's what we often write down. I want to lose 20 pounds. I want to yes. win the Olympics. These are the outcomes. But you don't have direct control over the outcomes, right? The Olympics could be canceled. And that's not theoretical. And they're that?
0: probably going to be this yes, year. Yes, exactly. <laughs>
1: yes. Um, so, wow, it'd be really hard to win the Olympics this year, wouldn't it? If yeah. that was your only goal. Mm. Um, you can't control your physiology. You can't be like, all right, fat cells... We need to metabolize today. Go <laughs> to oxidation. I need you to be thinking positive, you know. We we don't have control over that, right? So, what we do have control over are the things we do that go downstairs to the basement and do the Tuesday workout, the eat the vegetables. So, this is what we do when we set goals. We write down behavior goals, right? If it's a certain amount of sleep, if it's a certain amount of vegetables, if it's a certain amount of not cookies. If it's, you know, whatever, you know, sleep, stress management, food, and exercise behaviors we want. Um, And again, we talked about how to arrive at them with a coach's help earlier, collaboration, co-creation, confidence testing, right? So don't forget any of that yet. But then once we have a thing, then we just track those as our goals. The goal is to exercise four times this week. It's not to lose three pounds. If you do lose three pounds from exercising four times, phenomenal. But if you don't, I promise exercise over time will help you achieve the outcome, right? Uh, There's only one path to the outcome, and it's the right behaviors done consistently over time. The next step of that is, as you mentioned, performance versus mastery, right? And this is one that I've had wrong when I was younger. I've seen elite athletes do the way the most elite athletes do. And uh, they look at mastery. You know, I have examples in my book. One of my favorites is, uh, you know, I worked with George St. Pierre for years and years. And, um, you know, we were at an event in Montreal. He had won his fight. Uh, So he's, you know, he was the title holder at the time in the welterweight division. Uh, For those who don't know, he was UFC champion for years. Um, And so he fought a guy, went five rounds. He failed to submit him, even though he dominated every minute of that entire fight. It's 1230 in the morning, a whole group of us are waiting in a hotel suite for him to come so we can go to a celebration. You know, it's, it's his coaches, it's his friends, it's his mom's there, everyone's there waiting. And George doesn't show up for like an hour and a half. So now it's like two in the morning. We're all just like, where the hell's George? He was so pissed that he didn't submit his opponent that evening, um, that he and his grappling coach worked on a particular set of jiu-jitsu moves. For like an hour and a half. This was after a long day, press conferences, a fight that lasted till midnight. This is a mastery guy, right? The outcome—he—he—he's the best fighter in his weight class in the world. He just dominated the second best fighter in his weight class in the world. The guy didn't win a second of the fight off of him. Mm. But the guy's like, "That's not what it's about. It's about me mastering my craft." So, setting mastery goals is—is is then um, how we. Uh, connect with our purpose or our mission here uh, so that we can do it over and over and over again. Um, so that's, that's what we work on with clients over time. We begin with the behaviors that'll help achieve the outcomes that they want. So when we write down goals, we write down the behaviors. And then within those behaviors, we work on acts of mastery. If it's in the gym, it's how do we get these particular movements flowing really well. You know, If it's running, for example, uh, one of our goals may be as smooth and efficient stride or a particular breathing pattern, rather than running a certain amount of time over a certain distance, which the wind and the weather and your hydration status ha- can affect as much as anything else. So, you know, again, sort of drilling it down, it's most people are writing down the wrong thing when someone asks what their goal is. And right. if you're a coach, uh, the Part of your job that's really important here is to say, okay, cool. What you just wrote down, great. It's really important for me to know. That's the outcome. And that's what I'm going to be responsible for. What you're going to be responsible for is a set of behaviors. So let's figure out what those behaviors are for or what they're going to be. And I'm going to help the behaviors track to the outcome, right? So if there's a division of labor here, it's your program which I'm going to help create, is the thing that should lead to the outcomes, right? Your behaviors, the things you control and that you're going to do, that's what you're going to focus on, right? If you do the behaviors consistently and I do my job right, which is help those behaviors trend towards the goal, then we're the perfect team.
0: I love that. That's so great. If someone someone wants to hire a coach, Or doctor, you know, wants to engage with someone to help improve their health, Mm -hmm. whatever realm that may be, what would be some, you know, the top, however many I'll give you how, you know, free form in answering this, Mm -hmm. what would you advise them to look for?
1: Right. I would say you have to work harder than almost everyone does, right? Like if you were to try and hire a personal assistant, you would probably be pretty rigorous in your screening, interview process, background check, references, right? All of that. Mm. When people go to hire a personal trainer or even a physician, they're just like, who's around? Uh, <laughs> right. They're close to me. Yeah. And they go and do that, right? Mm. I mean, and I won't say it's insane because I've done it early in my life too, uh, but it's, it's ineffective, right? I mean, what is the probability of success? And that's how I think about everything. And I say it quite often, like, I'm not saying that you're not going to end up with someone good. I'm just saying that the probability of it being a great find is pretty low, right? Um, If you want to stack the deck in your favor, you know, to your question, what I would do is I would reach out to believable people in your community right? So believable people are people who've used these kind of services before and would have a sense for uh, who is good, what is good, right? Um, so, I mean, I, I'll give you a really, really relevant example. So our uh, five-year-old uh, broke his radius in ulna, so the, his two forearm bones this week. Um, and so uh, he was jumping on a trampoline, he fell backward, outstretched arm, and kablam. So, we want to go see an orthopod. And um, so, I reached out to, uh, and we're in Arizona right now. I reached out to Mark Verstegen, who runs Exos. He's probably one of the most successful and well known strength coaches in the world, entrepreneur in the uh, training and health space. I reached out to Stu McMillan, who runs Altus, which is a track and field training facility down here. I reached out to a couple physical therapist friends. And I was like, hey, this is what happened. Who should I go see? Right? These are highly believable people. They've referred you know, dozens, if not hundreds, of people to orthopedic doctors. And then I collected all the information. And so, I mean, it was really amazing that all four independent people recommended four different doctors, but all in the same practice. Right? They all work out of the same building. Mm. So I was like, all right, good. If we go work with that particular group, we're going to be okay. You know, mm. so then we made uh, two different appointments. Right, we went to see this one doctor uh, early in the morning, and we went to see a different doctor in the afternoon at a totally different place because I had heard really good things about this other person as well. Um, and and I also did a you know pretty deep Google search for ratings and reviews and that sort of a thing. And then I in the appointment I interviewed both of them. You know, we here's the X rays. What would be your treatment approach? Have you treated other five-year-olds before? You know, I was like kind of in charge of the, that interview, right? And then, okay, cool. Thank you. I really appreciate your time today. I have one more doctor to see later today, and then we'll decide who we're going to go with and, you know, we'll let you know. So the next day we, I had chosen and we went back to the uh, doctor we were going to see, and that's how we chose, right? So fairly rigorous process, right? Believable people. Crowdsourcing reviews, interviewing the person, and then going in and getting it done. So inside of two days, and and you know obviously uh, times are a little different now. Like orthopedic docs aren't super busy, so we could get appointments fairly quickly. Right. Um, but the the gist of it here's an example of how I approach these things. I want to hear from credible people. I want to see what the crowd has said, and I want to talk to these folks myself, and I want inter- to interview them and. Uh, Make sure there's some kind of fit, right? Um, In the case of our five year old, it was how is this doc treated? Do do they talk to my little guy with respect? Yeah, you know the doc we went with was amazing. He's like, "Here, come over here, G man. Um, I want to explain to you what's happening right now," and he explained it to him. And our 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 five year old's kind of shy with new people, um, and by the end of a fifteen minute you know, little warm up session or whatever. He was explaining exactly what happened, where the pain is, how, like he, I hadn't seen him talk so much in front of a stranger in a long time. So I was like, okay, bam, this guy's got a great treatment plan. Uh, Another thing he told me is that he has five children and one of them had the same thing happen when he was young. And here's what he did with him. And then he was amazing. So I'm like, this is a guy we're going to go with. Right? Mm -hmm. So there's this mountain of evidence that this is a good choice. Uh, don't do the opposite, right? When you're hiring a coach, don't do the opposite of that. Build a case for the person that you're thinking of hiring. It may take an extra few days to find out or an extra week or two, but if you've been waiting a while, what's an extra week? You know, what you want to do is find someone who maybe you could be in, in this uh, for the long haul with. And uh, so for me, it's just those three prongs. Do I know anyone who can give a credible um, recommendations? Cool, once I get those recommendations, what does a large group of people think? You know, both the doctors we went to see had over 500 reviews. um, And then interview them, ask them questions. Don't be afraid to go in there and ask for what you want. They are here in service of you. Um, And even if you don't have body confidence, if you're going to work with a personal trainer or food confidence because of a history of disordered eating, that first meeting isn't about any of that. It's about what this person can provide you who they are, what their values are, and does that match with yours, interview them on that, and then decide from there. So that, that would be my um, best advice for how to find a practitioner.
0: I love that. And you also coach, you're also coaching coaches as well. You started, I mean, you've had Precision Nutrition, which is, what is it, 120, 150,000 people yeah. have gone through it? Yeah. And you have Change Maker Academy now. Can you tell me a little bit about that? That's right. Yeah. So
1: it's in its early stages. I mean, essentially in in 2017, you know, uh, Phil Caravaggio, who's the co-founder of Precision Nutrition, and I ended up selling, you know, the company, and um, it was it was a wonderful experience, really. I mean, it worked out great for the team, for the new owners, for us. But um, after that, like, I I just I had a moment where I'm like, all right, cool. We sold this company for a lot of money. I don't really have to do anything right now, work wise. So I can take a minute and figure out what's next. And the book was what was next for me. You know, I wanted to capture everything that I thought I had learned in the last 30 years in the field and share it in a way that I thought would be really valuable for not only people coming into the field, but people who are in it right now and trying to make sure it's something that's sustainable. Mm -hmm. And, um, so as I was writing that book, I was like, gosh, this needs to be a bigger thing, you know? Uh, but I don't want to run it. I just came off running company for all these years. Um, so what I think I want to do is find a young team, train them, let them run the thing, you know, and um, just give them the culture, the values and the systems for being able to, to coach people through career you know, development um, and, uh, and let, let them take it. Like they're passionate right now about it. They're young, they're energetic. I want to, be with my family now more than anything else so you know this was the change maker Academy was born and the idea was we wanted to create a series of courses for people to figure out their unique abilities and their purpose and their values and how to grow a business from that and, and uh, how to develop a reputation from that and all the things that we required to have a sustainable successful career also we want to create meetups right where people in the same geography can get together and be allies rather than adversaries. Uh, It's, you know, I I am so intrigued by how uh, the event spaces in health and fitness work, right? There's all these events every year and people fly from all over the country and other countries to get together in Seattle or New York or Toronto or wherever they come uh, to be with their people, right? These other people are passionate about health and fitness like they are. And what's fascinating about it to me is when they arrive there, they're like, I don't have anyone in my town who's as passionate as me. And I'm like, where are you from? They're like, Miami. And I'm like, (laughs) (laughs) that's simply not true, right? (laughs) Um, Gosh, we need to be able to put together groups for people in their geography. Why do you have to fly to New York for a weekend? Gosh, why can't we have like an ongoing internal mentorship group with, you know, people who are doing the same thing as you in your town. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so we wanted to put that together and then we wanted to put together sort of like a big annual event where all the change makers can get together. So, but I mean, with that said, the book came out only six months ago and I don't think it's smart business to launch a big business, a big company uh, until you figure out, um, if people even want to buy the book you know, on the same topic. So that's where we are right now. We've got these things in plans, they're in development, but I didn't want to spend half a million dollars creating all the things before we knew if people even wanted to buy the $20 book. So that's what we're doing right now, we're figuring it out, right? So Changemaker Academy one day will probably be that vision because the book's going tremendously well, it's really exceeded my expectations. So I'm like, oh gosh, people are really, really into this. you know, And they have been asking for more, so cool! I think uh, our team will be able to give them more. So that's really where that's at.
0: I love that. Well, the book—you um, know—we've been kind of touching on some of the points in the book uh, in our conversation, but the book is a wealth of information. And I wanted you on here, John, because of the way that you think. And I think that there is critical thinkers, there's compassionate thinkers. There, there are people who can. Tolerate and explore and be curious about a whole host of different opinions, and you are all of those things. So I'm so, so happy and so thankful that we have had a chance to uh, chat. And uh, when you are back in Toronto, if you are ever able to make it back up, here. maybe one day, you know, <laughs> maybe one day, well, we'll go out for uh, for dinner with everyone. So thank Absolutely. you so much.
1: Yeah, let's do it. And thank you, thank you for having me. I really enjoyed the conversation. I hope everyone listening. Uh, got some value out of it, uh, spent their time with us today. I really always appreciate that so much. So thank you, Stephanie. And thank you listeners.
0: Thank you. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. For those of you who want to continue on this week's Geeky Magic Carpet Ride with me, visit bettershow.co forward slash show notes. You'll find research, links, summary notes, musings that I prepared in preparation for the podcast, and I often throw in some of my best practices, bonuses and links. All the juicy bits are in there for you. And now for the obligatory legal and medical disclaimer. This podcast is for general information only. And the advice recommendations we discuss do not replace medicine, chiropractic, or any other primary health care providers advice, treatment, or care. In the consumption of this podcast, there is no doctor-patient relationship form. And the use and implementation of the information discussed are at the sole discretion of the listener. The information and opinions shared on this podcast are not intended to be a substitute for primary care, diagnosis, or treatment. This episode is brought to you by yours truly, Dr. Stephanie Estima and Leverage. Leverage handles all production, creates the images that you see on my social media and takes out all my awkward pauses. They are my secret magic bullet. You can visit them at getleverage.com forward slash better.